This is a Broad Pods production. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Good morning and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and today my co-host is my great mate, Bianca Chatfield. Hi there, B. Oh, hey, Jo. It's so great to be back. It is. It's so lovely to see you today on the show. We are really thrilled to be going in depth with two incredible women. We have marathon swimmer Chloe McArdle joining us. She's about to head over to the UK to take on the women's world record. She's already the holder of the men's world record. So she's heading over to the UK very soon to take on the women's world record. And I think become that would make her probably the greatest marathon swimmer of all time um she's also unbelievable truly remarkable yes and she's also a very courageous advocate for um women who are victim survivors of uh, domestic violence so we'll be speaking with chloe also we are joined by ella hooper she of killing heidi she's synonymous with the sounds of the 90s and uh, we're going in depth with her and she's going to be singing for us yay (laughs) i cannot wait i just remember listening to all of her music from Killing Heidi when I was at school and I just loved it. Absolutely. So that's all coming up after this. Broad Radio is proudly supported by Chemist Warehouse. Chemist Warehouse, great savings every day. All right, just a little bit of housekeeping at the top. Let's just remind you, if you're watching on YouTube, it would be awesome if you liked and subscribed. If you're watching on Facebook, it would be lovely if you liked and followed us. That support is very important to us. If you'd like to catch up at a later stage, you can hear all of our episodes on podcast, Broad Radio On The Go, wherever you get your podcasts. And we love it when you join us with your conversation. We love it when you join in with what we're talking about. You can do that on Facebook and YouTube. And also you can always enter our one question poll and more to say poll um, in in honor of the fact that uh, the friends reunion is taking place this week we're asking I know we'll talk about that later in the show trust me okay we're going to give that plenty of time to chat about Um, but yes the friends reunion has made us think about what were the best 90s tv shows so this is the list it's hard to choose so you've got friends x-files Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Seinfeld, Melrose Place, or 90210? Oh, that is so hard to pick. I'm, I mean, for me, I loved Friends, but I also, 
90210, and then I'd always try and sneak and stay up late to watch Melrose Place because I was never allowed to. Ah, <laughs> uh, you see, I was at uni by then, B. So I remember first year uni, we would have a Thursday night double hit where you'd go over to one of your mate's house and you'd, you know, do drinking games. And it was just like, it was, and sometimes pubs would put them on because this is back in the day when you had to wait for it to be on. Yes. There, was no, there was no binge watching. Oh and each gosh. episode would leave you in such suspense and then you had to wait a whole week until you found out what happened next. What a surreal <laughs> life that was. I know. <laughs> so funny to imagine now. You know, I had to tell, I had to explain to my daughter who's 12 over the weekend. I was telling her about how we used to go to video stores to hire VHS. She was like, her brain, she just she's couldn't. Like, what a waste of time. Like, just load it up on your TV. <laughs> what? So, um, I mean, I'm going to choose friends out of that list. I, I can't deny that's absolutely my number one go to whenever I don't know what to watch. I always go back to friends. Um, so, but do head along to broadradio.com.au and uh, enter our more to say poll for your chance to win. Now, um, we do have a very special show where we are going in depth with two incredible women, but I, I discovered this thing. B, that I wanted to bring up. Oh, it's a very listy show today. This is a list of incredible women that I'm going to <laughs> okay. share with you. Okay. There is a hotel in Sydney. It's called Song Hotels, right? And they've done this incredible um, special sort of feature in some of their rooms at the moment that they've named after amazing Australian women. Okay. Now, I know it's, it's so it, cool. And might I tell you that I have not been paid to do this, but I just loved these themed rooms so much. Okay. So I want you to choose. You've got the Sia room, okay. Missy Higgins room. Nakia mm-hmm. Louie Room, who's just an amazing comedian and writer. Um, the Deborah Mailman Room, Leland Chin. Now that's a fun room. Uh, yep. Bindi Irwin, the Sally Rugg LGBTIQ Pride Room, because Sally, she's an amazing activist and campaigner. Or the Tina Arena Room. Well, I went and had a sneaky look online, Joe, yeah. because you know I love my interiors. And for me, the Deborah Mailman room was epic because it's got all these earthy colours and it's got these inspirational quotes around the room. But I really love the Bindi Irwin room as well because obviously being Bindi, it was all about her and the Australia Zoo and big picture of koalas on the wall. And it was just, uh, you just feel calm when you go into them. It was very oh, cool. Oh, that's gorgeous. Well, I'm going Leland Chen because I just think she's awesome. She's one of the most And it was yellow, wasn't it, everywhere, that room? Oh, she's the most colourful, like her fashion is so kind of out there and really and quirky kind of, but cool yeah absolutely so and she's got such a great a great sense of humor so out of those i mean how do you choose out of those incredible australian women but um <laughs> yeah i'm going for the leaders i can't wait to get to sydney to stay there and again not being paid to say that yeah um maybe i yes. should be <laughs> genuine shout out we don't get many genuine shout outs across instagram things these days but that is a genuine shout out that we love it and what a cool series of women to be able to feature in rooms Absolutely. So, and a great idea to have themed rooms like that. Okay, let's get to our first incredible woman. She is synonymous with the best of Australian music. We were lucky enough to have her through our radio speakers. Well, from the 90s, she has featured in my playlist. And uh, she re- she's just really a glorious artist and presence. Please welcome to the show. We're so excited from Killing Heidi, Ella Hooper. Hi, Ella. Good morning. Hello. How are you? Oh, it's so gorgeous to see you. Ella, do you know, I remember so vividly, I don't know why, because I have a very bad memory, but I remember so vividly the very first time 
we interviewed you when I started in radio and we were side of stage at the Rosebud Foreshore. You were doing a big end summer <laughs> series concert. <laughs> I reckon you might have been 20. I think I was about 30 at the time. <laughs> I remember that so I, I do remember. Yeah, I remember. Look, I mean, I guess we were both, if we were both just starting out, it's funny how sometimes those early memories, they do stand out. And I remember that gig being pretty hectic, being quite a doozy. It was really packed middle of summer and I remember you too Joe. so we go way back oh, we really do and look at us we're stayers we're still hanging out yeah still you can't get rid of us it's true but and I remember that because it was mad like it had full mosh pit it was just packed down there yes. it was amazing um but I do wonder so thinking you've been what now 20 years doing what you're doing um mm. you must have played some extraordinary places spaces gigs can you think of some awesome ones and also any that you've walked up and gone oh what is this place? oh my gosh <laughs> yeah oh definitely oh definitely you know it's not all the glamour and all that stuff rock and roll is a <laughs> it can be a messy job but someone's got to do it. So for every Rosebud for sure, there was, you know, I don't want to name names, but like Peaches and Creams, Yarrawonga, where I got like hit with a UDL can of raspberry vodka UDL, no. like full unopened. That's how much they hated me. Oh, my <laughs> God. God. Didn't, you know, wasted the whole thing and smacked me in the boob and it was just awful. And oh, I think we ended God. up cutting cutting the set short that night. But you know, there was some brilliant gigs too, like the big day out. So I was just talking to some of the, the folks here in the studio actually before I got online with you guys about those mosh pits, about how we used to mosh. And I don't even know if the kids are doing that anymore because people are a lot more conscientious these days about a lot of things than they used to be, if you know what I mean. I think um, probably now, now the there's sort of like, yeah. I think now there's safety issues, Ella, around yeah. yes. mosh pits. Uh, yeah. Yeah, completely. And, and, so and also good on COVID. <laughs> and, oh, well, yeah, not to mention all the last, the festivals that we've been playing lately, everyone is seated, like legally has to be seated. So there's a lot of chair dancing going on. And I, I do encourage chair dancing, even though it makes you feel like a bit of a duck. You've still got to move. It's music. It's rock and roll. <laughs> I want to ask you, Ella, because you've been around for so long, you must feel like you're quite entrepreneurial in the way you go about things. Because I imagine oh, it's probably similar to Joe and I in our industry. You don't just wait for the phone to ring. Like, you've got to be creative and come up with different ways to do things. And do you see yourself like that? Oh, that, that's so nice of you to say because I actually do, I, I really look up to you guys and, and you know, I, I dabble in media as well. I do a bit of radio, I do a bit of TV because I, I have always admired people who can get in there with both hands and make their own work and like no and on even even my music career that didn't just come to me everyone says likes to say overnight success it's like no 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 you didn't see the five years of busking (laughs) playing every single fate that I would do my could pay my mum and dad to drive me to because I was 13 at the time you know there is always this sort of drive in you know if I can say people like us or people who like to do these wacky jobs that don't have nine to five hours and they don't have sick bay and they don't have dental and they don't have any any security net basically it takes a weird person but it takes a lot of effort and and thinking outside the box so I'm very complimented that you would imagine that because it is true and a lot of people don't talk about that they think you just rock Mm. up and sing and lucky you yeah. you know <laughs> yeah oh look there's no way that you last as long as you do in your industry um, without having that real sort of entrepreneurial spirit and that creativity where you just go right what am i going to do next how do i yeah. how do i then make <laughs> yeah. the next gig and the next gig particularly yeah. you know let's be honest as we grow older in as women particularly oh, in this industry hugely. there's less and less opportunities 
hugely and I think you know it's funny because you want to be you want to sort of have that time with yourself to work out or well, what is like fear like why am I just running hot yeah. because I'm worried about like aging yeah. out or something like the versus like I want this experience <laughs> or I want to you know challenge myself and, and broaden my career both things are real and both things are, are often at play um, but yeah I think I have also been really lucky um, to have a few chances to expand out of music early on and you know a few great mentors Ben Wosley who we mentioned off air Joe a lovely friend yeah. of yours and mine who yeah. really helped usher me into radio and you know and various other things so I think you just have to you have to try things and keep it fresh and I think you, what you touched on you said you mentioned Bianca creativity it's like just mm. keep a creative um, frame on what you're doing with your life and you'll be more like if you just set your feet down and go no I only want to sing pop songs and I only want to be top of the pops and I only want to be number one it's like no I got to do that once that some people never ever get to do that ever and I got to do that once so I don't really see how like clinging to that and just going I want to do that again and again and again is realistic or smart wow that's, that's absolutely I find that really interesting Ella that you say that I got to do that once like um, you're coming from a place of gratitude rather than loss. That yeah. Why haven't I yeah. still got that? Yeah. I find that really yeah. interesting. And don't you think that's that's like a major life hack right there? Mm. Like if you can genuinely focus on what you're grateful for and what you have had and what you do have rather than what you don't or what you might be losing or moving on from, it's just a good life hack to reframe that always, I think. Mm. Well, you're going to see. It's so empowering. I just love it. Just <laughs> listening to you because oh, I think I feel like we we are we're all quite similar. I came from an athlete background and now in the media. Yeah. But for me, a lot of it was you know seeing other incredible women. I almost not paved the exact pathway that I've taken, but at least show me that things were possible. Do you have any yeah. female mentors, whether they're rock idols or just people in your life that have shown you that? this entrepreneurial spirit that you have is possible and that you can live a life this way? Oh, totally, totally. I've always been somebody who um, looks for mentors and um, even if I don't know them, I guess icons, you know, I can look at a poster of Patti Smith or something like that and get a lot from it and read her books and whatnot. But there are people, I've I got to say I didn't, I didn't meet many women in rock and roll specifically like there are you meant tina arena before i want to stay in the tina room by the way i want to stay in the tina arena room for sure that's going to be some luxe but like chandelier vibes in there very yeah. good champagne i'm sure Silk yeah. and all that. but i mean i'm, I'm going on a tangent there but um, i don't really i don't think i knew many women like me i never got to meet chrissy amplett unfortunately who is a massive idol of mine um but I did have other women in my life and whether they were from sort of like, you know, different backgrounds, some of them might have been actors or writers or comedians or um, just teachers, drama teachers, you know, people who were just sort of living an authentic life and who were satisfied. And I actually do have a couple of role models um, who were semi in the industry but behind the scenes, people who were more in sort of managerial roles and organisational roles, worked for record companies, things like that, who I were like, oh, that's a good, solid person doing something they love. And I do have an athlete role model as well, Danny DeToro, who I don't know if you know, she's an incredible um, Paralympian, yeah, wheelchair athlete who excelled at tennis and then table tennis and just has, and her partner, <laughs> Kath, is a really dear friend of mine who I met in the music industry. I was at their wedding 
was that last year? It must have been the year before because, you know, time's gone mm. weird since COVID. Yes. But those two <laughs> ladies are massive inspirations to me as well. So, And they just happen to come in a couple and they just blow my mind. I can't uh-huh. believe, though, on that, Ella, that you were 13 when you began with Killing Heidi, right? So now my daughter is 12 and I look at her and my <laughs> mind is blown at the thought that a year after this moment she might be out touring in the way that you were. So firstly, were you incredibly mature as a 13-year-old? Well, I find it weird too, Joe. I go like, I meet 13-year-olds today. I'm like, oh, hello, little girl. How are you? <laughs> and they go, whoa. And then I remember like, shit, that, I was that age. Like, how can that be? Because as you get older, you do get a bit out of touch, I guess, with yeah, like, sure. what a 13-year-old is and what a 14-year-old is. And I don't have kids and, you know. Um, but, it, yeah, it's weird. I must have either thought I was. I think I thought I was mature and that passed for maturity. I don't think I was genuinely uh, as grown up as I was telling people I was but I convinced enough people to let me pass those through those thresholds and have those experiences like I went overseas by myself with a with a manager a male manager at 13 when we were hunting for record deals after we'd sort of won Triple J's unearthed songwriting sort of competition and then got this management and it was a fair few years from 13 14 15 behind the scenes 16 I think when we actually came out and we actually had sort of that mainstream breakthrough but all that time behind the scenes I was like working on setting that stuff up and I just look I don't really know I think I was very sure that I wanted to be an entertainer and I was very sure from like a, a much much younger age than that so at least I had that sort of certainty and I guess when I got those opportunities, even though I was 13 and I was probably a bit shitting myself, to be honest, I was like, <laughs> I've got to take, I've got to try. Like, I have to try because I know I want what that possibly could become. And I'm just incredibly lucky that it did go that way for yeah. a time. But were there Actually, people that were kind of, I mean, guiding you? Do you look back and go, wow, I was in situations mm-hmm. that were just, I was way out of my depth at that age and I had no idea. <laughs> Yeah, I was a few times. I mean, it's funny. I want to put it all in the book one day, but, you know, I do get a bit a bit sweaty-palmed about certain people reading it. <laughs> I don't want my nana and pop to read it or even really my mum and dad to read it sometimes because, of course, there were times, yeah, there were times, you know, being in a successful rock band but being super young. And, and not everyone would always realise how young I was. I think I, I wore a lot of the, I know you have that photo lurking around. I know you have a photo in there. Oh, that one. You put it up on screen. Yeah, yeah, that freaking photo. <laughs> See, I don't really look thirteen there, do I? But I'm honestly about fifteen there. So, wow. and I think I think people maybe thought I was thirty then. So, but I am very lucky. I don't have any um, horrible incidents to report. I, I think I also created that luck for myself because I'm a pretty thoughtful person, and I. I guess I've kept myself as much as I actually don't know if I should take credit for that. I'm just trying to say, like, I, I guess I, I think I knew how to get myself out of harm's way if things were looking too dodgy for me or too grown up for me. I was like, I'm going to bed or I'm going over here. I don't need to partake in that yet because <laughs> I just know where these things end up, you know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lucky to have gotten through as a very young person in a grown-up's world reasonably sane and unscathed 
Wow. <laughs> now, we know you've got a podcast that you're doing at the moment called Front and Centre and you're interviewing rock idols, big names back from the 90s. Can you tell us about, one, what you're learning from the podcast, but also do you think that we it's just getting harder and harder now for rock music to continue in today's day and age? Is it too expensive or, or what is it about rock music and why we're not seeing it as much? Oh, that's such a good question. This is something me and my friends talk about trying to work out for ourselves. We're just like, so what is happening with rock music? <laughs> like something is happening, something's shifting and has already shifted. And, you know, it's that funny um, catchphrase or, you know, credo or whatever it is, rock is dead. You know, that's been that's been said many times, but this time it really might be. I don't mm. know because I think it's got to do with the internet and I think it's got to do with bedroom producers and the sort of proliferation of the ease around recording yourself and the ease around tracking multiple instruments and being a one-person show sort of. So you used to have to outsource everything. You used to have to get someone who could play a bass. You used to have to get someone who could play drums. You used to have to get someone who could sing in tune. You frankly don't need any of that to make a track anymore. You can have someone with a reasonable voice and you can pitch shift it and you can have someone with a – you can basically get the computer to do the rest. And this is not a criticism. This is just another way of making music, and that way is very popular. You still need charm. You still need charisma. You still need something to say or it's not going to go very far. But you don't need so much of that bricks-and-mortar practical stuff and that costs money to do that anymore. And if you do want to do that bricks-and-mortar authentic way, then it, costs, it does cost heaps of money. Yeah. And I don't know that we have much of that lying around at the same time, young people who might want to do the authentic rock thing, it's expensive. So they're going to go the home route. And the home route with all of the mod cons kind of leads you to a different sound. It leads you to a different music. So it's something to do with technology, patience and money and trends. Mm. I'm, I really don't have it all worked I out. I know, but it's, it is such a shame because, yeah. you know, bands are the best. Like there's nothing better yeah. than rocking out with oh, a band in a dingy pub. You know, like I just I think it's a real shame if we lose that sound and that energy of, of and, you know, you, yes, you can have people who are front people, like front women and men with their band. Maybe that's a more affordable way of doing it. But, you know, when you get that seminal sound of like a group of people got together in a garage and I just bashed out the songs and they ended up with <laughs> It's so sound. special. It's so special, yes. Ella. I don't, have, yeah. you, have you it's heard so of the Linda Lindas? Have you have you come across no. them? Oh my gosh! So no, they're the they most sound... they are the most adorable band. They are aged ten to sixteen years old. I first came across them in a in a movie called Moxie, which is Amy Poehler's latest movie. Um, check it I out on Netflix. See that. Oh, yeah. it's the best, right? And so <laughs> this band is in that movie, and they've actually just signed with. I'm going to tell you if I can tell you. They have just signed with uh, Epitaph Records. Um, they're just adorable. This little band. I should. That sounds really right. reductive. They're, they tend to. No, no, I'm so into it. There's actually a fair few bands. I've just got to give a little shout out to Yo Wo, um, who, are, which is a, a young women's Yo Wo, the young women's together um, oh, yeah. music collective group, at school class organization they're incredible and i do a lot i do a bit of work with them i'm their ambassador and girls rock as well in all across the country there are if that sort of turns you on and if you are a parent or a carer or if you know a young girl who wants to make music like that and and take that sort of part both yo wo and girls rock are amazing organizations to check out because that's like 
the Linda Lindas, like we have several versions of those here in Melbourne that I'm a big fan of from hot glue to the Vovos and stuff like that. So check them out. They're so good. I love that. Yo-Wo and Girls Rock. That's awesome to know that there's that kind of mentoring going on. And thank you so much to your generation, Ella, for being that sort of that mentor and that, that role model for them. It's so important. Oh, you got it. You got it. Because that's what I wish I had. Mm, yeah. Now, are you back touring at the moment, Ella? I mean, last year would have been very tough with what went on um, for everyone in 2020, but you're back out there now? We are, actually. It's it's still chair dancing on the plastic chairs. I mean, I haven't seen an actual tightly packed monopoly yet, which is probably for the best, you know, slowly, slowly. But, yeah, Killing Heidi is touring on the weekends. Ella Hooper Solo is touring more of your sort of dinner and a show type acoustic acoustic vibes get my for the mature the mature ones of us yeah (laughs) i you know so i've got killing heidi for when i'm feeling frisky and i feel like jumping (laughs) around and reliving my teenage years but then i've got my my new music which is absolutely adult contemporary it's chill it's quiet it's like gives me a break from jumping around and screaming it's quite mellow it's (laughs) almost country you would say well you're gonna sing for us now which i'm super excited about um and uh we're not rocking out though You've got something a little Can we more... do the mellow one? We'll do yes. the, yeah, we'll do yeah. the adult contemporary. Cool, great, great, yeah. cool. That's yeah. good for me. Um, oh. So you're all set to go there, Ella. Okay, cool. So yeah. I will play you. Um, this track is so hot off the press that I don't even know if it's truly finished. <laughs> it's still changing a little bit each time I play it. So I'm not sure what version you'll get. Um, it's called Small Town Temple, and that's the title track from my new solo album that's pretty much done in the can as of last Friday. I think I did my last day's recording on it. Now I've just got to mix it, master it, and it'll come out sometime next year. So if you see me around with Small Town Temple, come and have a look, come and come to a gig and uh, you'll hear yet another version of this song I'm about to play. (laughs) And it's about, it's dedicated to my little small town where I spent all of COVID cooped up with my mum and her partner, which was a very intimate family experience indeed. I wonder if anyone out there can relate. <clears throat> Went home for a visit, stayed for a year. <laughs> no, it was it was great actually, and I got this sun out of it. Thank you. 
To the small town temple that I call home. Oh, that was so beautiful. Oh, I love thank that. Thank you. Oh, Ella, I think that was actually the right version too. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> yeah. How lucky are we to get that so hot off the press? I can't wait for that album. It's such a beautiful little song and I love that sound for you, Ella. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. It, re it really feels like home, that sound. This is kind of how I grew up playing and grew up. Like, little known fact, Killing Heidi was an acoustic folk duo before it morphed <laughs> into what people know it as. So, you know, if you go right back on the Google Images, you'll see me in a long A-line velvet skirt with a uh, men's done right up to here and singing folk songs. So yeah. I'm sort of going back to where it all started. That's all right. We all wore long A-line dresses in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, do check out Killing Heidi. They're touring, I know, all around the country in various months throughout the rest of the year. So check them out on ticketmaster.com.au. And, of course, Ella, where will we? Are you also on Ticketmaster for your solo shows? I am, yeah. I'm on all the socials and all the ticket selling doobie what's it. So, yeah, I've got um, basically on my website you can find links to everything. So maybe yeah. check that out. Amazing. Thank you so much, Elle Hooper. It's been Thanks, an absolute guys. joy to go in depth yes. with you today. It's been such a pleasure to be here. I love broad radio. Go, go, go. I love this show. I love the whole concept. It's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Elle. You're the best. Thanks, Elle. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere. Every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis. We've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. Well, from music legend to sporting great, we are so excited to be welcoming to the show and going in depth with a woman who is on the precipice of breaking all of the records for marathon swimming. Her name is Chloe McArdle. Hi there, Chloe. 
Hi. It is so lovely to chat with you. Um, and I just want to check with you, actually. So you're in a fairly challenging time at the moment. You're about to go over to the UK to take on that women's world record. Um, but I also know that in the last few months, you've been speaking very openly about your experience as a survivor of domestic violence. And so I firstly wanted to check in with you that how do you feel about speaking with us today in this really kind of, it's a very sort of, you know, critical moment for you. Yeah, um, it's it's still a new thing for me to talk about my lived experience as a domestic violence survivor. So it is a bit it's a bit raw, a bit off the cuff, um, and this isn't pre-recorded. If anyone is curious who watches this, so um, doing something like this live is uh, yeah, it's a bit uh, it makes it's, it makes me feel a bit vulnerable, but not in a bad way. It's um, I'm sure we'll have a very authentic conversation, which is what I love and which is what I hope that people really get are drawn to Broad Radio to listen to these sort of stories. Oh, well, we're really pleased that you mm. are and, and you sharing your story is incredibly powerful, Chloe. So we're thankful that you are. I know many people are thankful that you are. Um, but let's start with the thing that you are most known for, uh, which <laughs> is marathon swimming. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's extraordinary to me. You have you are you're not only the owner of the men's world record for the English Channel, but the longest consecutive swim, which is 124 kilometres. Um, now, Chloe, I'm not a very good swimmer. In fact, I do everything to avoid getting in the water, so I can't even fathom that particular achievement of yours. I can't fathom how you can manage it. What actually led you to decide I'm going to be a marathon swimmer? <laughs> I actually avoid swimming where, where possible now too. I just want to clarify <laughs> that. It's like, you know, it's like going to the office. You know, you've got to do it some days. Um, but, but back when I was obsessed with swimming, we'll, we'll take a few years back um, and look at that. I guess more as a junior, I got into swimming by absolute accident. To, if we're going to go back to the start, I was 11. I was in grade six, growing up in Baldwin in Melbourne, Australia, and all the kids at my school were sent off to school swim lessons at the local pool. We were put on a bus. We turned up at the pool. Teachers said, put your hand up if you've never had lessons before. And I was like, oh, like people have lessons to swim. I thought swimming was just jumping around the background pool. And so, yeah, I put my hand up. I didn't know how to swim. So I was one of four kids across two classes who had no idea how to swim. And that's what got me into swimming. I was just super embarrassed. I went home that night. I'm like, Mom, 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 I don't know how to swim. All my friends know how to swim. It's really embarrassing. And she's like, oh, yeah, we've just forgot to put you in lessons. Uh, I'm the youngest of four, a uh, very spread out family, you know, parents working full time, both of them. And I'm just, you know, I kind of had to roll with things. And from there, I just loved the water. Like I would get in every day if it was possible. Flew through, learned to swim, wanted to be an Olympian. We're now going really fast through my early career. <laughs> but just didn't have that next level talent and had to give it away. But when I went to university, I just made this decision when I was 19 and second to uni. I was like, I want to be the best in the world at something. And I figured with a sporting background, it was going to be some way sport focused. And so at 19, I started trying a few sports and I did triathlon for two and a half years and I couldn't crack that elite level, ran a marathon in three hours, 37 enjoyed that but then I also swam a marathon because on this like experiential existential kind of journey and just loved the marathon swim so it would have been about 22 when I got to the point of going yep 
marathon swimming is one that fits me like a glove and I'm going to be the best in the world at this. I really believed I could and then I just went about stroking my way to make that a reality. Oh, you say stroking your way. It's a lot of strokes that you have to do when you're swimming a marathon. Can you just give oh, us an indication yeah. to what the what's the preparation like in the lead up to the event? Like how much training, how many hours are you spending actually turning your arms over? How many hours are you spending in the gym? What does it actually look like? Well, the last big marathon that I was training for, because for me, single crossing the English Channel now is like a training swim. Like it's it's not like a big epic swim. So the last big thing I was trying to attempt was four consecutive crossings of the English Channel. So that's back to back. Get into England, swim to France, which is 34 kilometers. Get out, swim back to England. Get out, swim back to France. Get out, swim back to England. So something like 136 oh kilometers gosh. or so. So that year is 2017 and it was pretty much a full-time job, just swimming, uh, what's the word, transiting, like getting to and from swimming, whether it's pool or open water, eating because you've got to not only get the calories back or the kilojoules back to to kind of replenish all the energy that you've just expended swimming, but you also need to put on weight if you want to swim the English Channel because the water is so cold, you need a buffer of fat around your major organs. So I'm eating not just to replenish and live but also to try and put on weight as well. So it's like this triple threat of needing to just constantly down food and then obviously a lot of recovery because it's so punishing to to put your body under that. So the, the biggest week I did in mileage was 130 kilometres and in that I did a 20-hour non-stop swim in Jarvis Bay, New South Wales, and I was, yeah, it was pretty cold. I, I went all through the night. It was 15 and a half Celsius, which is the same as the English Channel. So you know, it, was, it was a good good preparation. Uh, but since then, I'm, I'm just doing, I'm trying to be as efficient as possible and doing as little <laughs> as possible, but enough to know that I can hit the English Channel every time I get into swimming. Oh, wow. my goodness. I, I've got to tell you that already we've seen some comments saying, why, why? Um, <laughs> it really makes you one of the most unique people I have ever met, Chloe, because firstly, I've never in my life thought to myself, I want to be the best in the world at something. Like I just don't, that's a very unique goal, I think. <laughs> and for you then to be able to push through whatever you go through when you're swimming those distances in those conditions, um, what is it like? What what goes through your head? What what are you? What are the biggest challenges when you're actually crossing the English Channel? Look, it depends if it's a a one way crossing, so England to France, or a double crossing, triple crossing, etc. So the one way is pretty straightforward for me if it's a single crossing, but when you get into the territory of double crossings, triple crossings, or trying to do a quadruple, <clears throat> which I was unsuccessful at, by the way. Uh, the main issue for me is that humans are not designed to swim, which a lot of people, they tell me this straight out. They're like, how do you swim the channel? I can't even swim to the end of a 25-meter pool. And I, I try and I try and reassure them that it's okay. You know, it's not natural for people to swim. It's very difficult. It's highly technical. Uh, so not only are humans not designed to swim, we're absolutely not designed to swim in very cold water. We're not mm. polar bears. We're not penguins. You know, we, we, our body is designed for terra firma. 
So you put a, a swimmer, whether it's me or anyone, in the English Channel for a long period of time, and at some point the hypothermia from swimming in the very cold water is going to start cooling the major organs, which, as you know, is hypothermia. So when your core temperature drops below 35, you go into hypothermia. So when you're swimming in the English Channel, for me it's more than just one crossing where hypothermia is going to hit me will be in the second crossing or the third crossing. For some people, you know, if they're trading up for one crossing that's a whole entire life's journey, it could get them on the first crossing, on their only crossing. So for me, on crossing two or three, it's definitely the hypothermia. So my body and my mind, like my subconscious, is like, get out of the water. You are really cold. This is not good. And I, you know, I try not to let myself think that I'm dying, but essentially, if you don't get out of the water and you can't reverse hypothermia, if you just stay in and keep swimming, at some point you will die. So it's come to the point where I've had to like train my brain to override that, you know, a survival instinct to get out of the water because your body's like, you're dying. This is crazy. Get out of the water. And yeah, I've been just really interesting mental places to override that instinct. And I've hallucinated and I've had meltdowns out there. I've, um, yeah, I've, gone into semi-consciousness, um, some really interesting places in the English jungle. Oh, my goodness. That is incredible to hear that, I guess, how much you go through just mentally trying to get through it. I want to know, um, I, you know, I'm my background is playing a team sport. So being an athlete but always having people around me. So if I'm having a bad day, they lift you back up. How do you go about it? Do you ever feel quite isolated and lonely when it's when it's you and in your own head and having to deal with whatever's being thrown at you? Yeah, it's really interesting you say that. There's a, a general perception, I think, in the community that marathon swimming is a really solo sport because it's one swimmer doing the whole thing by themselves. But when you think about it in a little bit more detail and take some of those layers off, to swim to France, you must have a support boat next to you. So logistics are you've got two boat captains that, that alternate that role. You've got a sports official we call an observer to make sure that the swimmer's following all the rules, like don't touch the boat, don't wear a wetsuit, don't wear flippers or anything that's going to assist the swimmer. So the swimmer can only wear bathers, goggles, cap. So they're on there. And then you've got either one or a few people who are like your cheer squad. So I call them my support crew, and they're preparing my feeds, my liquids or solids that have – uh, warm water to prevent or manage a hypothermia plus the energy and they're also there for motivation and to lift you up and so mm -hmm. they're the people that I look to every 30 minutes when I have the feed and and they're like you know doing well stroking well or your technique's mm. looking good and they're on the internet they're like oh my god messages coming in from around the world like oh, I've got followers awesome. from like 150 countries so they're you know I have that amazing support but they can't touch me so they can be there they're my team, but then also I am still doing the whole thing myself. You know, so I can't. It's not like a relay changeover where I can pass the baton and then one of them gets in and just does it for an hour or two. I have a little rest on the boat. So it's yeah, it's an, it's an interesting dichotomy that I do have a great support boat team with me, but then I literally have to do every single stroke myself. So so luckily I'm not out there by myself because if I tried to navigate myself to France, I would end up probably in Holland or the middle of an ocean somewhere very lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man 
That's never occurred to me that, you know, you can't possibly know where you're swimming. There's got to be someone there guiding you. That's obviously, yeah, I've not thought much about yeah. how you were crossing. There's no the black line at the bottom. <laughs> That's right. There's no black line. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, though, Chloe, in those dark moments when you really are struggling with, you know, whatever's going through your mind, you are on your own. You might have those people on the boat, you are, but you have to find the spirit within yourself on your own how like what is do you think that you are someone who's naturally more resilient or that you have something deep inside you that spurs you on because I'm not sure that I have that I I reckon you do and if there's ever a situation where you're called on to dig really deep like to save your daughter if she was in the middle of a crisis or something you will go there because every parent will do that for their kid so I think I've just managed to be able to keep repeating going hard, going deep when needed. And I can do that as more of an order to manage that um, process. Sorry, someone keeps trying to call my telephone. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. some, some of the techniques, just to be quite brief, because I know we've got a limited amount of time, mm. is that the training that I do, and I did as a junior as well, as a junior, I trained at a very high level. Like I was on a pathway and the people I was training with, some of them became Olympians and got medals. So I trained really hard. I was super focused and disciplined as a, as a teenager. And so I was used to getting up really early hours in the morning and training until like I wanted to throw my lungs up. So going through that really physically and mentally demanding um, period as a teenager just got me used to being really uncomfortable and getting up at strange hours and going to a degree that, that other people my age would never want to do because often as humans we try and find the path of least resistance and try and have the least amount of discomfort and the least amount of pain. So I really leaned into that discomfort and that pain. I leaned into the pressure and I had that that training ground as a teenager and I never became Olympian, which is a shame. It would have been amazing, but it did provide me with that transferable mental skills. And so when I went to open water swimming, I was tough. Like I'd grown up in a tough environment and doing cold water training where you're literally throwing your body in cold water and your body's like, I want to get out. Doing that for two years before I went to the English Channel for the first time meant that I was familiar with this harsh environment and my mind had been there on so many occasions wanting to get out. So I think the more, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it is true, the more you get used to being uncomfortable, the more comfortable you are with it. So that's something that everyone can practice. And if if it's for people who like have social anxiety, if it's just practicing initiating conversations when you're walking down the street, um, like that could be for someone getting out of their comfort zone. So I know not everyone is into sport and that's totally fine, but really having those chance to kind of get out of your comfort zone and practice it and, and have those experiences I think can grow your confidence and grow your ability to throw yourself at, at the next challenge that you choose. Wow. Chloe, I love that because basically what you're saying is anyone can learn to do hard things. Yeah, definitely. Well, I would say that you're the embodiment of resilience because you literally just keep swimming, which is extraordinary <laughs> to me. Um, but also you have now decided to go down the path of speaking very openly about your lived experience as a victim survivor of domestic violence. Um, why have you chosen to speak out about your experiences? Um, it was something I decided last year. Uh, lockdown was challenging for me, like I'm sure it was for all your listeners. And 
I was reading statistics coming out that the rates of domestic violence were going up during lockdown. And I thought, oh, my God, this is horrific. What's being done about it? And besides these statistics, which it's good to publicise them, who's, like, who's making this into a human story and who's picking this up and championing it? Like people in the limelight that have the opportunity to really get in front of the media and talk about this. And I really I wasn't seeing like, public profile people picking this up as a cause. And it kind of just ate away at the back of my mind. It's something I worried about, but I didn't really know, you know, if I could do anything about it. And then when I went to England and started getting a huge amount of press leading up to breaking the men's world record, I was like, this is my chance. Like, I have the media. I'm doing live interviews with BBC and ITV and Sky News in the UK and then other stations back in Australia. I'll just start talking about this. And the, the media were really receptive about this. It was something they wanted someone that they could speak to about. And at that point, the media advice I was getting, they were like, do not say you've ever experienced domestic violence. So I think they were very cautious. They were worried potentially about you know, defamation issues or things like that. So they were literally trying to, like, rein me in. And then it got to the point where I was like, ah, I'm just going to talk about it anyway. So... Then I grew a little bit more confidence and when I got back to Australia and I took control of um, my PR again, I was just like, you know, I'm making a decision, I'm committing to this and, and I want to do more and more of this advocacy work and I, I'm a very public person, it's easy to contact me um, via my website, via my Instagram, Facebook. So I'm getting messages saying thank you so much for coming out and being a face for this because it's such a hard thing, there's so much stigma around um, lived experience for domestic violence. There's so much victim blaming going out there, and I talk about openly about having post-traumatic stress disorder. So I get emails saying, you know, it's so good that you're talking about this. So, you know, I'm getting really good feedback, and that's great energy. It's kind of like letting me know I'm on the right path. It's validating me going out and and talking about this. So it's good to know that I'm having um, a good influence, and I'm I want to do more than just have a media influence. So I submitted a 12-page personal. Um, experience into the New South Wales Joint Select Committee who are investigating coercive control to see if it should be criminalised in New South Wales and, and that's why I really want to get involved in changing the law and also policing. I've had issues with misconduct but the way I was treated by police when I was dealing with domestic violence so I'm in conversations with the Assistant Commissioner um, for Domestic Violence in Victoria um, in the police force. We're having conversations about that so I'm in a really good place at the moment and I'm really keen to keep expanding my voice and this platform that I have. So what do you hope to um, share or what, what sort of empowerment are you hoping you're sharing with uh, other victim survivors by sharing your story? Well, initially I just wanted to let people know that you can go through a really difficult time and still at some point come out and feel strong and feel empowered. So you can live through domestic violence and they're there will be a light at the end of the tunnel because I think when I was living it, it was just this weird, like I didn't even know it was domestic violence. A lot of the behaviours were coercive control, like controlling who I could see, what I could say, what I could do, locking me in, up, in out of the house, um, uh, breaking my things. So it didn't really seem obvious and so I was in this kind of weird, dazed, alternate reality world. But when I was moving out of that relationship, I realised it kind of hit me how bad it was and it was so hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that sometimes people who go through things like depression or other mental health challenges, they also really struggle because they're so overwhelmed with what's going on in their world right now. It's so hard to see that the future can be different and really positive. And I want to show people that 
you know, uh, me as a public figure, I will put my story out there and um, I want to show that it is possible to, to get through these things you know, with support, of course, and and have a, a completely more empowered life and, and have a voice and a platform and feel confident to, to speak about these experiences. So um, that's one thing. There's other things. I mean, obviously, I've got issues with police misconduct, hence conversations with the assistant commissioner. So I want to help um, help with education and training with the police force, Victoria nationally, and also help change the legislation, like criminalising coercive control. So I've got a few aims. Uh, I could be a full-time advocate if, uh, if that was possible. So if there's anyone here who wants to sponsor me to be a full-time advocate, I'm definitely up for that as well. Uh, but I'm doing my best I can, balancing lots of other things going on in the background. Has all of this, uh, you know, speaking out publicly and, you know, putting so much effort and energy into making sure that you look after or try and help anybody else going through it, has that, has that been quite a healing process for you as well? Oh, it's, interesting. it's interesting. There's this weird, like, dichotomy or irony, like when we talked before about math and swimming being a solo sport but a team sport. So in one way, yes, it's empowering to own my story, own my voice and be able to say this has happened to me and to not really care if people want to victim blame me, which I haven't had publicly but, you know, incidentally and probably accidentally I have had in my personal network that happening. Uh, so to be able to put myself out there it's and tell my story is empowering. But on the other hand, sometimes it's triggering. And for those that haven't heard that term before, what it means is that when I, I literally talk about the exact things that I've gone through or I hear stories like of Brittany Higgins and what happened to her and the trauma that she experienced, even though that was sexual violence and mine was different types and it was domestic violence, that, that's been triggering me into reliving my trauma, which is um, a very painful, um, emotionally painful place to be in. So I'm, I'm in a little bit of a roller coaster ride of feeling high, like I feel, I'm feeling great in this interview, um, but what may happen tomorrow or the next day is that I kind of have a bit of a crash. So I had a bit of a crash after I was on SBS Insight two weeks ago. Uh, the, it aired, the topic was um, coercive control, what is it, it should it be criminalised, and there was information that was released. Someone reached out to me, I'm not going to go into detail, someone reached out to me, saw this, and they had a very, very personal story, shared it with me, and I was like, whoa, that's, that's immense. So sometimes when people share their personal experience of experiencing violence, and, they'll go, and they won't realise that may trigger me, and they'll just send me out of the blue, I don't know this person, I thought it sent me like a lot of detailed information and that can be really hard for me to process. So I'm still really new to this advocacy work and I'm just really feeling my way out, my way through how to how to go about this in the best way and also protect myself as much as possible through this. I think that's a really important thing to acknowledge, Chloe, for you and everybody else who mm. sits in that advocacy space, that you do do it sometimes to your own detriment, that there is always a personal toll around you speaking out and sharing your story. And, and I think that it's incredibly courageous. And, you know, I want to put our arms around you and I hope that yeah. you're okay in the coming days after speaking with us here on Broad Radio. We're, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that you're in that space. Thank you so much. Yeah. So um, heading into this swim then, you know, if you're, if you're managing uh, living with PTSD and, and all the things that come with that, which, as you say, is talking about whether it's, it's re-traumatising or, or, or triggering the experiences that you're having or even, you know, around your sense of self and your sense of confidence mm -hmm. and all the things that come with 
your lived experience. How, how do you go about that? How do you go about managing that? Well, interestingly, without going into too much detail, I'm a self-funded, majority self-funded athlete. It's an amateur sport, so I don't get paid a wage to do what I do. And then I have to go and seek out funding to pay for the costs like the boats, the flights, the accommodation. So I run on the smell of an oily rag and when I go to England, I go by myself. Like like the Australian Olympic team are taking 1,000 support staff with them to go to the Olympics this year, which is fabulous. I'm glad that they got that opportunity. But I'm going to go by myself. And that kind of puts me in a, in a vulnerable position because I don't have a buddy. I don't have a companion. I don't have like close friends that I can just hang out with. And I'm going to be in England for three months. So I do have a bit of a support network there, but it's going to be really hard. I'll be away from family. I have two fur babies who are like my children. Mm-hmm. And I know from the last two years when I've traveled by myself, it's going to be really hard. Um, so this year I'm being just more proactive in just telling my, my friends in, in England it'd be great to hang out. You know, I just don't want to spend long periods by myself sitting in a hotel room waiting to swim the English Channel and not have that interaction with friendly people that are familiar to me. Uh, you can meet people walking around the street, like buying groceries and things, but, but it's not the same as, as having that personal friendship and that connection. So I'm, I'm more proactive than I used to be and more open. Like, you know, I, I don't wait for people to reach out. I'll, I'll be more proactive and, and organize more in-person catch-ups because a lot of the time in England, I'm just waiting to swim the channel. It's so fickle. It's so rough. I don't even know in advance when I'm swimming. So I've got to stay close to Dover where channel swims start. I can't really plan properly more than three or four days, which I'm going to have to take pretty soon. <laughs> That's all right. Um, we'll let you go very soon. <laughs> managing, kind of being isolate, isolated like FIFO, the fly-in, fly-out people. Mm. So it's, yeah, three months by yourself in another country without a support, close support network, I found really challenging. I know it's going to be a big challenge coming up for mm. me. And what will it feel like for you when you complete, I think you've got seven swims to go to reach that goal. What will it feel like when you can tick that off? I'm so excited. When I finish these seven channel swims, I'm going to hit number 44. So 44 channel swims that I've done. It'll be the world record for the greatest number of crossings that anyone's ever done in the world. And I'm bringing the world record back to Australia. So an Aussie, Des Renford, not sure if you've heard of him. If you have any older listeners, they might remember him. He was big in the 70s and 80s. He had the world record for greatest crossings of the English Channel back then. And I'm going to bring that title back to Australia at the end of this year and I'm so excited and I'll share some pictures with you or I'll tag you or something when I'm over there because it's so special. Like it's been 40 years and I don't think any English person or any international is going to be close to getting to to taking this world record from me. And I can let you know, and it's official now on Board Rodeo, if anyone comes after my world record, the Aussie record, you know, like (laughs) it's based in Australia now, I'm going to be after them. I'm going to swim (laughs) after them and I'm going to steal that record back. So it's going to be in Australia for a long time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chloe, you are just an extraordinary person. You're a delight to meet. I'm so thrilled that you came into my life because my conversations with you have been just really, really inspiring for me. And, wow, you're heading over to the UK in June sometime and we will be watching with the whole of Australia behind you, very much all of Broad Radio behind you because you're just amazing. We can't wish you more luck. We're just so excited yeah. for you. Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
Oh, you take care oh, and we will definitely all the best. Yeah, yes. We'll, get we you will, back. Yeah, we will stay in touch. <laughs> we will speak with you after you after you break the world record. Oh my god. <laughs> let's Good do luck, it. Chloe. Yeah, let's do it. Bye, you take everyone. Care. Okay. See you later. Good luck. Oh, <laughs> we'll have more broad radio after this. Oh my God, Bianca, what about the two women that we've spoken with this morning? Oh, both of their energies were so infectious. And I mean, even just Chloe, what she's been through and seeing her face light up when she spoke about what she's about to do and the fact that she's going to hopefully get that record and bring it back to Australia. It really shows you, doesn't it, why she puts in all that effort and energy into swimming it gives her so much you can just tell yeah it's true although you say hopefully there's no doubt in her mind that she's going to well no there's no doubt so so i have no doubt whatsoever that she will break that world record i was just trying to take the pressure off her a bit (laughs) fair enough well as as a a former athlete you know what that pressure is like i have no idea i'm just one of those fans on the sideline insisting that they do it which i'm sure is adding to the pressure and i feel really bad about that sometimes (laughs) it's all the even saying good luck I, I often now I always say all the best and even then when I said good luck I was like don't say that she doesn't need luck and yes. then yeah it's just a funny thing for athletes you're so true hey so we've just gone way over time there because both those women were extraordinary but we did mention the friends reunion and so I have to just bring it up so in Australia we can check that out on Thursday from 5 p.m on binge I've checked I've double checked and triple checked that be and can I tell you I was I was ready to hate that I was ready to go mm. oh my god it's all so wanky and honestly oh, they're so into themselves and, blah, blah, blah. and then I started I totally dived in and then I was almost weepy watching it oh and me too and the thing that I liked is that they're doing it differently I think when we all heard reunion we thought that they were going to do another episode you know together but I like that the way they've done it I think that's really clever to do it differently to how we see other things um and I just cannot wait to see it and I love that they're all still such good friends like that Mm. is just what you can really take out how much they actually love and care about each other yeah who do you think has has um what shall I say um has managed the years the best since then well I think Jennifer Aniston looks amazing uh definitely I'm not just talking about the way they look but I'm just talking about you know they kind of have thrived She looks healthy, I think. She looks really healthy. Um, Lisa Kudrow, though, as well. Um, But I think uh, out of the boys, I think it's hilarious seeing Matt LeBlanc look so much older than what he did on the show when he was always this little kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is with his grey hair now. Um, Who was your favourite back in the day? Um, I probably love Chandler the most on the show of the guys and of the Chicks, definitely Rachel. Oh, yep. no, I can't split them. But this is the thing that has, because I watched every episode from start to finish in lockdown with my daughter Willow, didn't realise oh. before we started how much it was all about sex. So that was mm. a little awkward for an 11-year-old. There were times when I was like, oh, Mom. okay, I'm going to pause <laughs> that. Uh, I don't even know how to explain what just happened there. But, you know, anyway, but um, <laughs> do you know what struck me? And then again, too, the brilliance of the writing firstly still holds up however many years later, but the mm. brilliance of the we were on a break, 
which was a contentious issue that they were able to carry through the entire series and the whole world talked about it. This is before social yes. media. This was before the internet, before things could be, you know, viral. The whole world in pubs and houses and universities everywhere, people were discussing that. How brilliant is that? Absolutely. I mean, even just from Jennifer Aniston's hair, remember when Rachel got that haircut and then everyone was getting that haircut. It was like this worldwide sensation that you had to get that haircut. It's crazy that they could actually, you know, have such an impact on the world by their half an hour show that they would do once a week that we'd all get to see. Yeah. And you know what? Um, It stands the test of time too in that I know that they've had some criticism around that there's not a lot of cultural diversity within the cast and that was something I think that throughout the series they tried to redress a little bit later on but mm. definitely that's an issue. Um, but aside from that, there really there's not much in there where you go, it's a different time. And I'll mm. tell you one of the things that I found re-watching it last year, the relationship and the bond between Joey and Chandler is as beautiful as any male-male relationship you can find. It's just awesome. And so relatable too, because I'm sure everybody knows, you know, two guys in their life that act like that or have that connection with each other. And and I think across all the characters, that's what really got me is that you could always relate or see someone was like someone. Like I can relate to people who are like, oh, you are so much like Phoebe, just your quirkiness and your uniqueness and how you just own that. And I, yeah, it's so many beautiful moments and I cannot wait to watch on Thursday. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, maybe we should have a reunion reunion. We, we, know. we could get, we together, get together with all your mates <laughs> and watch the reunion. Yes. Um, Bea, thanks so much for being a part of Broad Radio today. It was super fun. Absolutely loved it. And what incredible guests we did have. Yeah. And we'll be back with more Broad Radio. Bradio. Should we just call it Bradio from now on? Okay. Sure. <laughs> we'll, be back, we'll be back with more Bradio next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.